you have Bibles, or if you're following along on your phone, you can uh, turn to John 20. It'll be our text this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. I pray I will conclude with, this is the word of the Lord, and on a text like this, we laugh oftentimes. There are texts we read and we say with great hesitation, thanks be to God. This morning, one of these texts like this is one where we can shout with great joy and excitement, thanks be to God. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand that Jesus had to rise. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, hallelujah, and happy Easter that he indeed is risen. The last time we were together as a community in the flow of worship of Holy Week and the Passion Narrative, we were gathered together on Good Friday. It was in Good Friday that we ended the service in silence and in darkness. And as we talked about on Good Friday, that this is a liminal space. It's an in-between space. It's in between an undoing of everything that we thought or maybe wanted to happen, and it's the cusp of everything that is about to happen. It's the redoing and the remaking of all that we had held on to. 
the space where we live in tension. And we ended the service in silence and in stillness. Doing so, marking the need and the necessity that we as believers would sit and do nothing. That we would be still. We walked out of the service quietly, understanding that our work is not good enough. That there is nothing left for us to do. That we have been backed into a corner, a rock and a hard place. And we recognize and concede that it is only God that can do the remaining bit of the story. To acknowledge that it is only God that knows the ending. That it is only God that can make a way and we are in need of a way maker. We ended in tension. That continues through Holy Saturday. We find ourselves yesterday sitting in the practice and in this great drama of stillness and silence persisting. Reminding ourselves again and again that it is not our works or our hands. We continue to wait. And we begin on Holy Saturday to reckon with the very thing that we professed six weeks when this whole journey started. And that it is not that the human nature in and of itself is onward and upward, but that it is a better cry to declare ashes to ashes. That that is our efforts. That we find ourselves in no way of being able to move forward unless God moves for us. It is a practice of sitting and of waiting. And in this morning, the great drama shifts. The stillness and the silence persisted into the early morning hours for Mary and the disciples. It continued to allow them to, to kind of wrestle with. And the reality of it is, is Mary does not come to the tomb expecting to find life. The text tells us that she came expecting to find death. But she came to the foot of Jesus, to the feet of Jesus. She came to the tomb knowing that that was where he was. That was the place he was to be found. And so she comes. She finds in that moment that something has happened. Something is different. Something has shifted. And there's this moment where she begins to maybe realize that she's moving into something new. That maybe freedom, that life as God had promised throughout the Old Testament, that Jesus had stood to say that he was the fulfillment, that maybe that was real and it was happening, but she's not there yet. And that is the reality for us too here this morning. As we come to Easter, as we come to Resurrection Sunday, for many of us it, it is a moment, but it's a moment over time. It's a series of moments. It doesn't just flip and everything's fine and hunky-dory. In fact, resurrection is actually quite a tedious thing in a lot of ways. For Jesus, it's instantaneous, but for the reality of resurrection, there is a slow kind of almost like hidden nature of it. In a different gospel account that we didn't read this morning in Mark, he actually ends it totally different. After all of the hype and all of the expectation of Jesus' life after the cross and the sadness and the grief and the pain, Mark ends with an empty tomb and fear and trembling from the disciples. That's the resurrection account. For all of the hype that 
church have around it for the fact that many of you, myself included, are wearing nicer clothes than we would normally find ourselves in a Sunday morning. For, for all of the preparation and intention that goes to Easter, it's interesting that the Bible is actually pretty scarce on the details of the moment. The non-canonical scriptures, the ones that are stories or accounts of the time that Jesus was around, the things that didn't make it into the Bible that we hold today, they have these kind of like elaborate and lavish tales of scripture or of resurrection. But what we hold on to, what the church has kind of said, that this is the story we're going to choose to retell and retell and recall and recall. And it's a simple story. And I think that's because the church got early on that that is the way resurrection happens. It's quiet. It's behind the scenes. It's kind of unknown. It's fearful and yet hopeful at the same time. It's a paradox that we find ourselves being invited into. Resurrection life takes time for us. It sputters and has fits. We find ourselves in seasons ebbing and flowing of what it means to live into the resurrection hope and life. And thanks be to God that we're no different than the disciples. They found themselves in an empty tomb and it, 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 the text makes clear that there's this moment, there's this thing that is happening that they're kind of struggling with it. They're not really sure what they're supposed to do with an empty tomb. Even though it says John believed and that he started to put together that there's a resurrection happening, they go back home. Why? Why is that the thing that they would choose to do? I think it's because they're trying to wrap their minds around that everything is different because this is not what they expected. And they are confronted with a God that is different than their own making and their own hopes and dreams. On Good Friday, we collectively come to that moment and we say we're going to let that idea of God, that idol, die, that we think we know what we need. And on Easter Sunday, what we're doing is we're taking up the new way that God intends for us to live. That is a challenging and difficult thing to reframe and rethink how you see the world. And that's the invitation of Easter Sunday. The disciples leave. They go away. They go back home. I would love to know what they're thinking. I would love to know what conversations were happening. But for some reason, what we see is Peter and John go separate ways. They came from separate places. They go back separate places. And yet Mary persists. Mary stays. When all the men are gone, the women persisted throughout all of the gospel. And we see Mary persist in this moment. We see her unwilling to leave because I think deep in her bones she knew something was up. Tragedy was at hand at minimum and she was unwilling to ignore it or to leave it. She finds herself staying where she just like, she, she can't move. She gets it. She's in the liminal space. She is unable to do anything. There has to be another way made. And she finds herself sitting. Crucifixion was hard enough. Her Messiah, her friend, her teacher, he's been taken from them. Crucif crucifixion is an ugly way to die. It is a shameful way to die. For a Jew, there could not be anything more cursed than hanging on a tree, dying in that kind of way, naked and exposed. Her friend, her brother has been embarrassed. 
And now to add shame upon shame, grief upon grief, difficulty upon difficulty, his body has been taken away. And yet something inside of her forces her to look in there one more time. And there inside that tomb, the Lord's spirit is active through the angels that are speaking, saying to her, there's something happening. She still doesn't get it. She looks away, sad and dejected. Though the Lord is moving on her behalf, she does not yet sense it. And so she continues to sit and to wait. She thinks she's alone and the gardener speaks. And in that moment, she thinks, just tell me, just let me have him. Let the shame and the grief find a way to the end. If you've ever experienced death firsthand and had a drawn out experience with it, there's a part of you that just wants to get to the funeral and move on. You want to allow the grieving to start in its proper ways. And then I think Mary in this moment is saying, like, let me just grieve and move on. Please tell me where he is. And in that moment, tenderly and quietly and only the way that God can to another human being, Jesus speaks her name. English misses this. I don't like to get too much into Greek and Hebrew because I start treading on very thin ice with my limited knowledge of it. But in this moment, the English is Mary and Mary. It doesn't really make a difference. But he speaks Miriam, her Aramaic name, her family name, her traditional name. And he says to her, deeply and tenderly, I see your value, your dignity, your worth. And in that, it wakes something of her sleeping heart. It speaks life into the grief and into the depths of despair that were in her. It gives her the ability and the power to see Jesus for who he is because he speaks to her there. It is not the common name that she, as a poor Jew, would have been called in the markets of Rome and culture. It is intimacy. It is worth and value. And he speaks to her. And in that moment, she sees think that the real gift of resurrection is that this morning that it's what God is doing to his church collectively we come to this moment to sit and to hear him say to us there's value worth dignity there's a place for you there's continuation and it's not a vague and abstract value worth and place in all of this it is in the middle of our grief our darkness, our brokenness, our frustration, our inability to see the future, our inability to understand what may come next, our inability to understand why the things have happened. It is there in those places that the Lord would intend to look you in the eye and to speak to you directly, intimately, to overwhelm you to the very depths of your being. And in all of this, Mary is the great example of the person that has ceased to act. The disciples, they go back and they go back and start to do the things that they were normally doing. They're doing something. And Mary the whole time is insistent on doing nothing but being still. And that is the practice that we said we need to take on in something like Good Friday. Something like the Passion Week. Something like Lent. We sit and we are still because we know that there is no way. But there is this moment in all of our lives where the Lord looks at us and he says, okay, move. 
the way has been given to you, the door has been opened, the obstacle has been removed, and now your joy and your gift and your calling is to move in the way that I have made for you. And Mary moved. And what I want to say or think this morning in my own kind of assessment is probably that in that moment, Mary still didn't have it all figured out. Mary still didn't have everything put together. She probably didn't know exactly what the disciples were going to say. And what we see in John is that she goes and tells the disciples, and it appears that they don't really care what she has to say. John doesn't give us anything like, oh, and then revival broke out. It's more, it's implied in the text that Mary goes and they're kind of like, okay. It's a slow process. It's a tedious process. And so this revelation of resurrection is no different than the movement. The Christian life, the resurrected life is a tedious and slow kind of thing. We're called to sort of just move along in this direction, believing and hoping what God says is true. It's a series of moments. It's a series of things that take place. Slow, steady, season after season, trusting that the Lord is who he says he is, that he is everything that he promised to be. And we have the cross to remind us that he is. And we have Resurrection Sunday to remind us that that is God's great yes to us. All of us are invited into this trusting, cruciform life of Jesus. And what we are promised is that if you will do this thing, if you will die to everything that you think you want and that you think you know, the promise is, is that God will give you the gift of resurrection life. This is not a good things happen to bad people and God will ultimately set things right. Resurrection is the announcement that the cross is the way of the believer. And that's what we stand and we celebrate. I said on Good Friday that Good Friday was a day for the cynical, the frustrated, the hurt, the broken those that find themselves beat up by the past year, or maybe just in the, the typical cycles of cynicism and doubt, that it is there Good Friday, that the invitation is in the middle of all of that, you sit and you wait on the Lord. And that's okay. It's, it's for those people more than any. And Easter Sunday is the invitation that to those that find themselves there to move into this hope and this joy, to move into this abundant life. I think for a lot of us here this morning, after the last year that we have experienced on an Easter Sunday like this, to hear the invitation to move into joy and abundance, to move into joy and excitement, to move into hope, may feel overwhelming, but it speaks to the depths of us. We need hope, we need joy, we need it to be back into the rhythms of grace that the Lord promises us. And he's done that work for us and he has made a way for us to enter into that. My invitation to you this morning and to myself in this season as we go into these next few weeks of celebrating Easter as a church and as a church here at Mosaic and church collectively at large and worldwide is that in these next six weeks, 
In the same way that we took up the practices of Lent, we take up the practices of Easter and we celebrate even if we don't always feel like it. It's like a giant practice of Sabbath that Easter offers us, that we celebrate these next six weeks as if though the work is complete if it doesn't feel like it. We celebrate hope in the gospel even if we don't feel like we have hope. We celebrate and we choose joy and we allow the anointing of joy of the Holy Spirit to come upon us even if we don't feel like being joyful and everything around us says that there is no reason for joy. Because for the next six weeks, we choose to celebrate and to enter into the life of the resurrected king. And that is not our work, but it is the free work that we paid in because of what Jesus did for us and because of this morning. As the band comes back up, we are going to enter into a time of communion. If you didn't grab one of these small COVID-compliant ways of receiving communion on the way in, you can... Uh, Go back there. There's some back by the table, I believe, if you want to grab one or two for those that you're sitting with. Give you guys a moment to do that. I think there's extras back. Yeah, there you go, Rachel. You're the best. Come to this moment of communion to receive the body broken for us and the blood poured out. We come to the moment of communion to remind ourselves that it is God's provision that sustains us, that it is God's blood and sacrifice that makes a way for us. And in taking of this communion and receiving these elements and the bread and the cup, what I invite you into is to take these elements and to be reminded that this is a celebration. The greatest parallel or connection we have to communion, I think practically in our everyday lives that all of us have been a part of, is a wedding feast. But the bread and the cup, because we see that play out in Revelation, we see it in Scripture, and in this moment, think of this that way, that this is what the Lord is inviting you personally into in a deep and intimate way. He's inviting you into feast and to celebrate on this life and this life abundant that he has given to us. So take the bread that represents the body that is broken for you and eat. The cup poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. the band plays, I encourage you to stand and to sing and to celebrate the life and hope of our resurrected King Jesus. Amen. <laughs>